people. Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to read verse 35 through 38. This is what the Bible says. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Now watch this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So the Bible tells us a couple of things, that Jesus was meeting needs. He was meeting needs because when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He looked at them and he said, they're harassed, they're helpless, they're like sheep without a shepherd. I think it's very important to look at Jesus' attitude towards people that he didn't even know, that Jesus wasn't looking at the crowds of people with disgust or anger or frustration. He was looking at the crowds of people as helpless and hopeless and abused and taken advantage of, like sheep without a shepherd. I think in order for you to begin to have compassion for people, the way you see the world has to, has to change. And I think very often as Christians, we get into, we, we get into Christ and then we get associated with, with his, his morals, his standards, and then we begin to act as if we are the police. Now it's our job to police the rest of the world and make sure the rest of the world is doing what the Bible tells them to do. But that's not our job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. It's our job to look at the crowds with compassion. They're not horrible people. They're not hopeless humanity. They're not the devil incarnate. They are, they are sheep without a shepherd. And they need a shepherd. They don't, need, they don't need you to judge them. They don't need you to dishonor them. They don't need you to call them names. They don't need your, your light to shout at the darkness. Light doesn't shout at darkness. Light invades darkness. Light exposes darkness. Light gets rid of darkness. It doesn't stand on the corner and shout at it. Hey, you're really dark over there. Well, come show me some light. Amen? So we have to see the world different. To, to reach the world. So he, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And then he looked at his disciples. He said, guys, listen, this is not a harvest problem. There's never a harvest problem. There's a worker's issue. See, the church has spent so long blaming the harvest instead of working the field. Can somebody say amen? I'm getting help right here. I'm feeling help right here in this area. <laughs> amen. All right. Have I prayed yet? Because I'm kind of sick and I can't remember a lot of things. I didn't pray yet, did I? Okay, let's pray. Pray for me. I had a 103 degree temperature on Friday and uh, it broke yesterday for a few minutes and I'm, I'm drugged up right now. So I need, I need, I need Jesus I haven't drank Mountain Dew in four weeks. I'm, I'm on the struggle bus right now. So uh, thank God I only have to preach for 22 more minutes. I've never looked at that clock and been happier in my whole life. All right, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. We ask over these next few moments you would speak clearly to us. God, let us leave this place today with a deeper heart for humanity. 
loving you and loving people more. Not just the people that are around us because even the world can love the people that love them. But God, let us leave here with a heart to love what seems unlovable. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. You know, when I, when I read this story, when I read the words of Jesus here, it reminds me of a, of a few different places in the Bible where it says, it tells us what God does when he looks at cities. One of the first things God does when he, when he, when he looks at a city is he hears the cry of a city. You know, so often in scripture, um, God would send someone as a response to the cry of, of a people or a city. A cry would go up from a city and God would send someone to rescue that city. So God hears cries of cities. God hears the cry of our city. There's a, there's a specific cry that comes from a city. There's a different cry that is coming from Johnson City than is coming from Elizabeth. And cities are cities for a region. They're, they're not just marked out naturally by the boundaries that governments have set. They are cities planned and ordained by God to represent a, a group of people. And when a city cries out, you know, our city, Johnson City, has its own government. Elizabethan has its own government. It has its own elected officials that oversee the city and the schools. We have our own mayor. Elizabethan has its own mayor. And the reason that is is because the city has a sound. The city has a sound. Like, like a church has a sound, a, a city has a sound. And God hears the cry of a city. When God hears the cry of a city, he's, he plants churches as a response. That's what he does. We are here because we are responding to the cry of a city. We didn't go to some map and just like blindly throw a dart at a map and say, wow, Johnson City sounds nice. No, that's not why we are here. Originally, in my dad's heart, in his mind and thought life, he wanted to go to Charlotte. The last place he wanted to be was where he came from. Even the Bible tells us that very often a prophet isn't welcome in his home town, so it's, it's, not, it's not the greatest thing usually to start a church around everybody that knows you, because it'll be the same way they treated Jesus. Isn't that the son of Mary, and isn't that his brother over there? We know all these people, you know, and that's how, that's how it happens very often, and so Johnson City was the heart of God for our founders, and so we are here in the response of a cry from a city. God weeps for cities. The Bible tells us plainly, Jesus, what? Wept. He wept for a city. The Bible even tells us that God's voice cries out to cities. In other words, we are crying out to God, and at the same time, God is crying out to a city because God has a purpose for cities. God has a purpose for the city you live in. God has a purpose for the street you live on. God has a purpose for your address. All of this is for a reason because God cares about cities. And my desire is that our church, this church family, would make such an impact on this, this city that if we weren't here, the city would notice. Like, I just wonder how many churches could close up their doors tomorrow and nobody in the city notice. It would break my heart if we were to close shop tomorrow and the city would not be affected in a dramatic way. So I'm telling you, the indicator of whether or not you're making a difference in the city is if you weren't here, would the city even care? 
And somebody say amen. I'm not talking about just the people that go to church. I'm talking about the community that we are surrounded by. If we were to close down, do we make our neighbors better? Do we make the street we live on better? Do we make BP gas station better? Do we make Ingles better? Like, I'm serious about these, these things drive my heart. This is why I'm here this morning. I'm not here because I want to preach a message. I'm here because I want to make sure you are, you are, you, you get the good news of Jesus, not so that you can hoard it up in this room when we leave and say, man, we had a good time, but I want us to leave this room and, and, and Cracker Barrel be impacted because I know a lot of you are going to get some biscuits and gravy. This is, this is East Tennessee. I heard Jim Gaffigan said, the South will never rise again. Why? Because of biscuits and gravy. We're just, <laughs> we're, we, we, we're, we're too loaded down. We won't rise again. I've had too many biscuits this week. I can't rise up. I can't raise the bar. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So just a, just a couple things I want to give you that Jesus' personal life was, was, uh, was flooded with. These are just personal, some personal attributes of Jesus that I think will, will help you. Um, because, can, can, I tell you, can I tell you this? I, I heard this said a long time ago. This really helped me. It said, people really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right, come on. And so you can say you care all day long, but until you personally exhibit these attributes of care, people will not care that you say you care. And one of the things that we notice about Jesus is, is people were constantly being drawn into Jesus. He was constantly having to escape crowds. He was constantly having to go a different route. He was constantly having to, to disappear and just go somewhere else because the crowds were constantly pushing in on Jesus. A church that is like Christ will never have to beg people to come to it. It will constantly be flooded by, it will have to deal with issues of growth. It, it will have parking lot problems. It, it will have issues. There will be problems associated with a church that looks like Christ. Look at these things that Jesus' life was marked by. Compassion, we, we just talked about that. But Psalm 51 and one, the Bible says this, but you, Lord, are compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Have you ever noticed that Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and in the earth, Jesus, who is fully God, dressed in a man's suit, is in the earth, and Jesus' ministry is not marked by his, his authority as far as him walking around like, don't you guys know who I am? Like, I'm Jesus. Like, he was constantly telling people, don't tell anybody about me. Don't talk, don't, don't, don't. I, I know I just healed you, but, but don't go spread the word. I, I need to stay on the down low right now. Like, he was not building his own ministry. I'm li Listen, if, if, if many preachers had done even just a tenth of the miracles that Jesus had done, they would have had a business card and a website and a design team and a style team. They would have had it all together. They would have had a program on TBN because, because they would have been promoting themselves. But Jesus had all power and all authority and did no self-promotion. He was marked by compassion. The authority of Jesus was expressed 
in compassion. In other words, he used his power and influence to help others. Not to lord over others, not to control others, not to live in a bigger house than others, not to be better than others. He used his authority as a means of compassion. Wow, that's really good. And, 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 and a church that is not passionate about compassion will be obsessed with gifts. And when you have gifts and you are obsessed with gifts, you will never see fruit. You won't see fruit. A church that becomes obsessed with, with the, 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 the singers and the preachers and the talented people at church, and, and just show me more talented people, bring in more talented singers, bring in more talented preachers, have a better program. Have, when you're obsessed with gifts, you will not see fruit. Even in the Old Testament, the Bible shows us something beautiful. It, it says that when they designed the garments of the priest, that at the bottom of their, of their robe, the, at the hem of it, they, they would put bells, and in between each bell, they would put a pomegranate because they wanted to temper the bell with fruit. In other words, what God is saying, I don't want you to be all bells. Because if you're all bells, if you're just all bells, you're just a bunch of noise. <laughs> bells without fruit has, has no temperance. There's no, it, it's, it's just a loud noise. And so God is saying, I don't want you to have no, all this power without compassion. What happens to churches that get all of this power and have no compassion? They become controlling, they become legalistic, they start getting into stuff and telling people how to dress, what movies to go to, where they can go, what they can drink, what they can see, what they, they just start telling everybody everything they can and can't do. Why? Because they've got all this power but they've got no compassion, there's no temperance. We get caught up in you can't wear makeup. Like what are we talking about? Like who, who made you the police? Who made you the God cop? Like, I'm here to enforce the laws. No, you're, you're here to show compassion. That's why you're here. There was a willingness about Jesus. There was a willingness about Jesus. Just, do, do you remember Matthew chapter eight? There, there was a, Jesus is finished up preaching on the, ser the Sermon on the Mount, and the Bible says he's coming off of the mountain, and as he's coming off of the mountain, the Bible says that, that a leper comes up to him, and, and, and so immediately Jesus has come off the stage, right? He's, he's done his thing, he's preached his message, and he's come off the stage, and a leper comes up to him, and, and he, says, he says, if you are willing, you can heal me, and Jesus says, I'm willing. I'm willing, and heals him right there on the spot. <laughs> this is a powerful thought. We, we, we live in a day where, where, where we, have, we have preachers that like, they, they come out of back corners and, and they like show up on stages and preach to crowds and then disappear and, and don't talk to people. Can, can I tell you something? Never trust a leader in church that doesn't smell like sheep. If he smells like cologne constantly, and overpriced suits and Gucci shoes. Don't trust that dude. You, you cannot trust a man who says he's a man of God who doesn't smell like God's people. Come on, somebody. You, got, you can't do it. And, and, and not just should the pastor smell like sheep, but obviously 
The sheep should, should smell like sheep. If you're sheep and you don't smell like sheep, you haven't been hanging out with sheep. You've been hanging out at the spa, but you haven't been hanging out with sheep. And I think so much of Christianity is like spa living, like let's isolate ourselves from everybody else and let's build these walls around us that make us feel comfortable about our lives so no strangers can come in and no bad people can get in and nobody who isn't like me can get in and let's just huddle over here and get our nails done and our hair did and you know. It's like this is not the kingdom. There's a willingness to be involved in people's life, to, to, to reach out. In, 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 the, in the Old Testament, if a priest were to touch a leper, the leper would make the priest unclean. But in the new covenant, Jesus is trying to show us something different. When the man of God touches the thing that's unclean, the unclean thing doesn't make him unclean. The clean thing makes the unclean clean. This is the picture. It's not, this, it's not us in this big, bad, nasty world, and we're just trying to stay in a quarantine zone. Like, keep those evil sinners out there. Don't let them in the church. That's why we got walls in the church. Don't let them in. Check their IDs before they come. Like, what are we, what are we doing? You stand at the door. I, I, I was at churches when I was growing up. They, they, would, they had rulers at the door. They would measure the women's dresses to make sure they were a certain length. Like, what are we doing? What is that all about? And we might not have a ruler at the door, but many of your eyes have rulers. All right, I'm just saying. There's a willingness, there's a humility about Jesus. Jesus modeled humility in his life. The Bible says that he made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of men. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. General Jesus, can, can you give you some insight into Jesus as we look through scripture? In general, Jesus was constantly showing men the way down and showing women, outsiders, the wounded, the way up. Wow. Well, glory, I'm, the women are like, hello, somebody talk about it. <laughs> but one of the things that Jesus did in his humility is he changed the game in particular for women in the Bible. He was constantly challenging men who wanted to control women. I mean, I mean, men had it good. If you woke up one morning and your wife overcooked the toast, you could write a letter and say, I divorce thee, nice to see you. And not only could you divorce her, but when you divorced her, she lost all rights and privileges. There was no split. There were no prenup agreements. And Jesus started to write the way for women. He's constantly teaching men the way down, women and outsiders, and the wounded and the abused, the overlooked, the way up. <laughs> Amen. I don't care if you like that or not. You can tweet me after. I won't read it anyway. <laughs> I'm going to take a nap today. I'm going to take some NyQuil and go to sleep. <laughs> Jesus was welcoming, constantly welcoming. He had a welcoming attitude that, watch this, it caused Mary to want to sit at his feet, sinners to draw near, 
and children to rush him. This, this, was, this is who Jesus was. It, it caused Mary to just want to sit at his feet. It caused sinners to get near him. And kids wanted to be around him. Kids wanted to be around him. I love children. This church will be, will be marked by this. This church will be marked by this. This church will be marked by women who feel comfortable to sit at the feet of Jesus. We will be marked as a church that sinners draw near to. And we will be marked as a church that children run to and not run away from. We will not lose the next generation because you are addicted to nostalgia and comfort and what you want. Praise the Lord. We gave up on pleasing people a long time ago. We're trying to reach people. Can somebody say amen? I like sick Robbie. He's just a little bit grumpy, a little bit edgy, like a little bit tired. Yeah. I like this guy. <laughs> Paul, watch, watch this. Watch this. What's what the Bible says about the Apostle Paul. He was, at one time, he was getting ready to leave the church, uh, the Ephesian church. He had raised up this church, and all these Ephesians were coming to church. It was a, it was a city, and he's, he's reaching them, and he's got to go because he's got other churches to plant. And the Bible says that he's getting ready to leave. He tells them, hey, I'm, I'm not going to see you again. I'm not going to be able to come. You're never, you're not going to see me again. And watch what the Bible says in Acts 20 and 38. It says, what grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. <laughs> Watch this. They, of all of the things that Paul brought to the table, I mean, this is, this is a guy who worked miracles, who, who, who had so much power in his preaching and teaching, and his writing is unmatched in history. This guy, the thing they were gonna miss most about him was not his gift, not his preaching, not his letters. They were gonna miss his face. That's an important thing to us. Church, what kind of, when the, when the world looks at us, what do they see in our face? When the world sees our face coming, are they excited about it? Does it, does it bring joy or is it like when, when on Thanksgiving Day and you see that person's face coming and you're like, okay, the whole day's ruined, like, all of Thanksgiving is ruined. It's gonna be a good day. Are there just not certain faces you would rather see leave than come? What if you're that face? You ever thought about that? Like, what if you're the downer at the party? What if you're the one that everybody's like, yeah, let's invite them and them and them, and somebody's like, hey, what about them? It's like, <laughs> no. No, we want to have a good time, right? Yeah, totally. Well, no, not. And, 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 and being that, the person with that face is a lot like having bad breath. You're like the last one to notice it. <laughs> 
This doesn't work, guys. <sighs> like that self-test, the breath self-test, it doesn't work. Why do we still do that? Like that, you can't smell your own breath. Like I can't smell anything right now, but you can't smell your own breath. Like have you ever noticed like, like your body odor, if it's bad, you're the last person to think you stink? <laughs> well, all righty then. They were grieved the most because they wouldn't see his face. Now, I think most churches today are marked by a lack of action. I think we, we're doing a, doing a pretty good job in the day we live in of talking about issues. I think, I think we talk about a lot of stuff. I just went to an incredible event this week, and I heard a lot of talk about issues of race, race and politics and the church. It, it was wonderful talk, but what I was so proud of was the fact that there were action items. Like, there was actually a list of things that we could leave that night and begin to do personally that would make us more engaged on these topics that we had just discussed. But because we live in a day that thinks because you tweeted about it, you actually care about it. Wow. Like you saw something about the homeless and you tweeted something, so it's like, I made a difference today. No, you, no, you didn't. I, I saw something about racial injustice, so I tweeted something. No, you, you, you didn't change anything. You talked about it. But biblical compassion is not talk, it's action. Remember the apostle, he said, listen, I don't come to you with very, I'm not, I'm not here to wow you with my words. I'm here to demonstrate the gospel to you. Come on, man. Isn't it amazing how I, I, in, in the history of the church, this church, and I'm not saying we never will, but in the history of this church, we've never advertised in the sense that we've never had a billboard. We've never done a, like a citywide mailer. And I'm not against all of that stuff. But I think the greatest advertisement is that when dead people come to church here, they come alive. Like, would you not wanna go to a hospital that you heard like dead people were coming alive at? Like, I wanna go to that hospital. Like, sick people were going and getting healed. Like, that's the hospital I want to go to. Like, that's the, the best testimony of this church is life change. Amen? It's that lives are being changed. It's that marriages are being restored. It's that people who would have never gone to church again are in here today. People who had given up on God are now finding strength and hope in God again. So I want to I leave you with some action steps, and you can stand with me. I wanna leave you with some, with some action steps that you can take to begin to develop more compassion. Because you cannot just walk out of here and say, you know what, I'm gonna be more compassionate. It just doesn't work that way. You've gotta begin to develop traits of character and, and, and ideology and better theology. You've gotta begin to, to, on a daily basis, make consistent decisions to be more compassionate for people, because my natural lean is not compassion. I don't know that most people's natural lean is compassion. My natural lean is, is self-absorption. 
I don't know, can anybody else talk to me about that? Like my natural lean is to take care of me and the people closest to me. Like that's my natural lean. So I have to work on compassion. And just let me give you a few ways that I work on compassion. First of all, let me give you some thoughts on why we don't act. And then I'll give you some ways we can act. First thing I think, reason we don't act is because some of us just don't think anything is wrong. Some of us just say so disconnected from people and stuff that we don't think anything is wrong. And when it comes, can I, can I tell you, just simply give you kind of a baseline for even an issue like, like racial injustice or something like that. The reason you have no compassion is because you say things like, and you think things like, well, it's not as bad as it used to be. So you can't fix a problem and have compassion for a problem you don't think exists. Can I tell you, it still exists. And in some ways and cases, it's just as bad as it used to be. You just keep turning your eye and you live in a community where you don't see it as much. Okay, is that, okay, that's helpful, Robbie. That's really good. Second reason I think we don't act with compassion, we're afraid to risk what could be for what is. We're afraid to risk what could be for what is. We're we're holding so tightly to what we have because we're afraid if I lose this, then what will I have left? Or if I give this, then what will I have? Uh, We're, again, we're self-absorbed. And when I mean self-absorbed, our identity is rooted in a few different things. Our, Our identity is very often rooted in our job. It's rooted in our possessions, our status, our race. I, I was talking to, uh, I was with John Gray this week and, and John, I was, we were having a conversation about race and John said, Robbie, I, what I want to tell people is that my race is what I am, but it's not who I am. Can, can I tell you, whatever the color of your skin is, it's not who you are, it's what you are. There's a big difference there. Because what I am, I don't get my identity from what I am. I get my identity from who I am. And who I am is who Christ says I am, right? So my identity is not found in my race or my culture or my background. My identity is found in Christ. My color is what I am, okay? All right, so you can be proud of your ethnicity and proud of your background and proud of your, your race, but, but listen, it's not who you are. It's what you are, all right? So people are like, well, well, I can't, how can they? And stop with all that. Just, just, be, just be proud, but don't be identified by what you are. It's not your identity. Have you ever noticed that, that, that when something is off balance, that we lead with it. Something is out of whack and, and, and off, we lead with it. Like, when you have to lead with your sexuality, something's wrong. It's wrong. Like, when that's, that's like, I'm so-and-so and I'm straight. I'm so-and-so and I'm gay. Like, I'm so-and-so and I'm black. Like, don't lead. I'm so-and-so and I'm a, like, why are we leading with, with what isn't our identity. My identity is not found in my sexuality. My identity is not found in my race. My identity is found in Christ. 
I lead with Christ. Lead with all that stuff. That's not who I am. It's what I am. All right. You're more in love with the past than you are the future. Quick to point out a problem, but very offer very few solutions. You see, serving is a means to an end. Serving is not a means to an end. Serving is not how you promote yourself in the kingdom. Serving is how you serve other people. And it's not a means to the end. It is the end. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what he will say. Okay, how are we going to act? I got like two minutes before the parking lot goes crazy. First of all, we're going to be authentic. Cool is not the point of this church. I had somebody call me the other day and they were like, Robbie, we did all of the stuff you guys did and we're not growing. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, well, I started wearing jeans and tennis shoes and we put lights on the stage and, and I'm like, like, bro, that doesn't grow a church. We are growing because we are a real community of people. Like, we're all, truth is here. The Bible says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The reason people come to church here is not because we're cool. It's because the truth is here. That's what people want and need. It's the truth. I said, you're doing all the wrong things. All that stuff is great, but it's not going to change anybody's life. Nobody came to church and was like, wow, those lights. I need Jesus. No, the truth sets people free. James 5, 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The reason I, I, I share so much of what I am not good at up here is because it's confession. And the Bible says there's healing in confession. Not only does it help me like it's therapy, but it also helps you to realize, hey, I'm not alone in this. The Apostle Paul, he said, the thing I, I should do, I don't. Like he's the leader of the church. And he says, you know, guys, the thing I should do, sometimes I don't do that. The thing I shouldn't do, sometimes that's the thing I do. I, I'm in this boat with you. Like, I have marriage problems too. Did you imagine being married to me? <laughs> what in the world? I, I, I struggle in my relationship with my kids too. I, prayer is a challenge for me too. It, I'm, I'm with you. We're in this together. Second thing, we will be driven by mission. We will be driven by mission. We're gonna be authentic. I'm gonna be driven by mission. I'm not gonna get caught up in stuff that doesn't matter. I've got to connect with something bigger than myself. This is how you're gonna act. You're not gonna get caught up in the little, the, the pettiness of life. Facebook arguments and Instagram feuds and disliking and unliking and disliking and unfollowing and quitting on people. We're not gonna get caught up in that. We're gonna stay on mission. And our mission is to love people with the love of Jesus Christ. You lose your narcissism when you begin to lose yourself in a mission. Okay, be driven by mission. Deal hope. Like if you're gonna deal anything, deal hope. Some of my favorite people that get saved and come to church here are former drug dealers because they know how to deal. I just gotta give them a different product. You know what I'm saying? Deal hope. People are like, why do you talk about hope all the time and grace all the time and love all the time? I do that because faith without hope is unemployed. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith without hope is unemployed. It doesn't work. So we keep hope in front of people so that their faith has something to do. Can you say amen? And this last one, prioritize community. 
I've got to be around people. I heard somebody say this recently. They said, sobriety is not the opposite of addiction. Community is. Do you hear that? Sobriety is not the opposite of addiction. Community is. We gotta prioritize community. As the church grows bigger, it must grow smaller. You gotta find a crew. You gotta start a crew. You got to get in community. Sunday morning is not enough. It's not. This is how we're gonna act. So let's pray. I gotta let you go. I'm so sorry. I'm sick, parking lot guys. Take it easy on me today.